You're listening to Process with Broads and D-Ray. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to episode four of Process. And today, I think we have something that's a little different, a little out there. When it comes to the 76ers, everyone's talking about Al Horford, Tobias Harris, the fit doesn't work. What's going on with them being and Ben Simmons? Why not look at the bench? I think this is a great opportunity to look at the bench, see how the players perform. Some of them won't be here next season. Some of them will. But let's dive into what happened with the role player since, according to myself, if I played in the NBA, I would be a role player, and there's nothing (laughs) bad about that at all. And D-Ray, I think you accept the role player as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, listen, you, you got to be the MVP of your role. You know what I mean? I, I always believe that is not always the favorite thing to do, but hell yeah, especially if they, they cutting them type checks. Yeah, hey, it's important. Without those role players, you're not winning championships. <laughs> At all. <laughs> so how are you today, by the way? How are you? Bro, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not going to lie. I'm going a little stir crazy at this point because it's, it's just, it, it's, we're past a month now, I believe. Um, so, yeah, a, a little stir crazy, but it is what it is, bro. How you doing? How you I'm feeling? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same exact page as you. I'm starting to go nuts. As I stated a couple episodes before, I'm going so nuts. I bought a damn skateboard. It finally came in, and I'd skate, I skated one day. And it feels as if I went through two days of training camp for a whole week. I can't feel my body. My ankles are sore. My hamstrings are sore. I remember skateboarding when I was 13. I didn't have this problem. (laughs) Yeah, no, we ain't there no more. We ain't there no more. We're old, bro. We're old. Yeah, we definitely are. All right, so real quick before we dive into the topic, Uh make sure that you go follow us on Twitter at Processed. 76ers. That is our Twitter account for this podcast. And some breaking news, we finally got accepted onto Apple Podcasts. It's been so damn long. The process is finally over. No pun intended. But make sure you go leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. So, with that being said, first things first, that horse competition. Oh, that was ugly. Oh my god. Coyote ugly. That shit's terrible. I I just watched the one with uh Paul Pierce and Zach Levine doing the layup. Like he recorded on a piece of toast. The shit's just bad. It's just awful. See, they didn't they didn't process what they were going to do. It it was it was just thrown out there. We got to get out content. We got to get out professional sports at any cert, sort of cost. No no matter what, let's get it out there and put it to the public. I, it seems like they didn't. Uh, practice this they didn't put any sort of game plan out there they just put it out to the public that was disgusting I I was laughing I was almost intrigued and laughing at how pathetic it really was first of all I gotta acknowledge how you worked in that process right there that was that was smooth that was smooth (laughs) that was subtle but yeah man it it was just it's bad and we said on a you know we said a couple shows back if they do that it's gonna be a reach we thought they were joking we hoped they were joking come on bro it's just now let's be real if they had this set up where it was more professional cameras and one guy the thing that I, I feel is so bad about it is it looked so poorly planned if they executed this with real camera work with professional shooting when it comes to film it would at least be decent but that was unwatchable it was as if fans felt sorry that that was even on television yeah yeah and it's like it's something to be said about just we said with the season man just let it go you know what I mean just just try to get it back next season but this shit 
it was it was painful. You said like, it was painful. Like you're sitting there watching. It's just <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you're like wait, yeah. So you're like waiting for somebody to come in laughing or joking or some shit. Like all right, all right, we we're just playing. I don't know. Chance the rapper's the new punk guy. Hopefully something. He just jumps out and oh no, it was a joke. It was a joke. No, they dead ass. Yeah, absolutely. They were dead ass, and I guess that is the sad part about it. You mentioned Paul Pierce's name. You mentioned his name, and my skin just starts to, like, boil and get all crazy. <laughs> I hate him. I hate him. I can't stand looking at him. I, I guess I'm the asshole on this podcast because I hate everybody, apparently. <laughs> I can't no, no, stand no. him. No, 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 no. I, all right. Paul Pierce is a player. Got to respect it. Your name ain't the truth for nothing. You got to respect it. As a commentator, bro, I'm on the same type of time with you. And when he was on LA Clippers. I'm not a fan of, of the latter Paul Pierce. That's just, no, no. I, I don't even know. Oh, I told you. See, I'm at the point now where I realize you lie to me all the time. And I, and I know that because of our conversations off the air about LeBron James, which will once be talked about on a podcast. So I'm going to lie to you. And I'm just see, I'm, I'm an actual, I'm a realist, all right? I'm, I'm not going to hide behind anything. I don't even respect his game. Screw him. Just oh, flat no. out screw him. Oh, I don't even no. respect him. He was no. a bum. Getting carried off the court. Oh, he's hurt. Bum. Hell no. I, I can't agree with that, bro. Well, That's guess what? At up. least I come out and tell it to your Pierce. face. And I don't say <laughs> it on the air as if I respect this game. And then I'll text you later and say, oh, I was lying. That's what <laughs> oh, I did. Oh, with LeBron? Yeah. Well, hold on, hold on. All right, all right. I respect LeBron James. You have to. He's in some way a GOAT. He's not the GOAT, but he's the shit. He's the shit. He can do everything on the basketball court. He's a fucking cornball. <laughs> I'm not backing down off of that. His antics, stay on the floor when your brothers fall and they'll help you up. And then the next game, he walks past motherfuckers. That's some corny shit. Let's call it what it is. Him as a player, got to respect it. Got to love it. Uh, love what he did with the Cavaliers a couple years back. All that. Great. But LeBron, as a politician, as a camera person, as a personality, off the court, is a fucking cornball. I stand by that. I hate you. <laughs> so, you with that being said, we'll roll into the next topic. <laughs> and it seems as if there's a lot of conversation going around right now when it comes to sports coming back. And it's somewhat breaking news out there, even though it shouldn't be. But it seems realistic that sports with no fans is an idea that a lot of owners and GMs and commissioners commissioners are going with right now as we speak I, I believe it didn't happen yet but Mark Cuban's in the mix Jerry Jones Robert Kraft they will be speaking with the president in terms of getting this thing going again would you be okay with and this is just an idea that sparked into my brain because of some reports about Florida if and, and the entire NBA was quarantined in Florida where the whole league stayed there. They played all their games in Florida. And from there, you got basketball without any fans. If it gets this horse shit off, it's like, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I got to be honest. I got to be honest. All jokes aside, if it did get this horse thing out of the way and got some type of basketball back, I think it will be weird from an atmosphere standpoint. But at the end of the day, what is normal at this point? What is normal? Nothing's normal right now, especially with sports. So to see it come back in some type of way, I think will be a better story than, you know, it just being nothing. And 100% will be a better story than they're out there playing horse instead. The one big thing I need to see is 
don't mess around with the game. So, for example, with baseball, they're talking about seven-inning doubleheaders, and they're breaking down different cactus leagues versus Arizona leagues, and they want to mess up the divisions. Don't give me that. Don't sell me anything like that, as long as it's real basketball. And it's totally two different circumstances. One is in the middle of the season, ready for a playoff push. The other, the season didn't start yet, and there might be traveling involved in baseball. So I understand that there's two different circumstances, but for the, the sake of the game, I want it to be basketball. I want it to be the same amount of quarters, the same amount of time, the same teams with the same records, playing the same schedule. I want it to be real basketball. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, bro. I couldn't agree with you more. It, it's Nobody wants to see that because then it really is an asterisk next to anybody who wins. If you do win, well, yeah, we were only playing the 21. Nobody wants to see that shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you're gonna play, yeah. If you're going to play a game, then play the game. Yeah, take back rules. You could take it back to the three-point line if it if it hits the rim or you get all funky yeah. with it. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, man, that would be interesting. <laughs> all right, the bench. This was an interesting part of this season. As I stated from the jump, a lot of the conversation surrounding this team is Al Horford's contract, Tobias Harris, and that makes a lot of sense. That is a big factor in this team and why they underachieved this season. But I do think it's important to look at the bench play and look at specific players and see what they contributed to the team and what they can contribute to the team in the future. Some guys are UFAs. Other players have a year left on their contract. So I think the the best person to start with would be Furkan Korkmaz. Now, a lot of people who followed me for a while understand that I can't stand Furkan Korkmaz. Shocker. Another guy that I don't really enjoy playing. But why? Why do I not like him? And you mentioned this in last episode, defense. And I think that when it comes down to half-court sets and playoff basketball, we can both agree that playoff basketball and regular season basketball, it's two different sports. It's not even the same sport anymore because of how it slows down, how there's tape, how there's so much focus on individual players and and teams. Mm -hmm. He won't work in the playoffs. I I couldn't agree more. His his defense has always been shaky. Um, Some people blame it on the strength. You know, some people blame it on his foot speed. It doesn't really matter what it is. It just doesn't get done. I, I, you know, I think he averaged around like nine or ten points, which is is good. But yeah, yeah, no, we. He's definitely developed. I'll say this: his first. Okay, yeah, year... I, I was about to say because I didn't want to just go in on him. At the end of the day, he has grown, and I think that's the beauty of him. At the end of the day, you're dealing with a bunch of guys who've grown, and because we have a Ben Simmons, Joel and B, we expect everybody to grow at that rate and be at that rate. You look at him two seasons ago versus where he is now. You look at him when he's playing in Europe over in Turkey and where he is now. You're dealing with a different player, and he's growing. It's just once again, is it fast enough for Philly's taste? Probably not. Yeah, and and if you're relying on him to be a sixth, seventh man in the postseason, you're screwed. I always said that there's a role for Furkan Korkmaz. If he's an eighth man, a ninth man, he gives you 12 to 13, 14 minutes or something where he can go out there, make two threes, and then call it a day, then by all means, I think that that's a reasonable role for him. We just, we from the top, we talked about role players. I feel like that's his role, but if you're talking about 25 minutes in a night in the playoffs, you're going to be screwed. He he did develop the three-point shooting. He shot under 30 his first year. Then he jumped to 32. And this season, I will give him credit, when he was firing, he was shooting 40%. But for all the games yeah. that he was firing, there were games where he went 0 for 7, 0 for 6. And then defensively, he was just getting abused. Get your yeah. get your pick, get the switch you want, and attack Furkan Korkmaz every possession. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, you talk about like those couple threes that he would hit when he gets hot, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're getting nine points, but your guy is getting 15, you know what I mean? You really gave up six. People don't pay enough attention to the plus minus. When you're out there, how is the team functioning? And I could imagine with somebody like him, it's just your, your liability on defense, and you're not exactly Lou Will on offense, so the shit doesn't – it's not a fair trade for the six man. I, I love, love that you just brought up plus minus because I get destroyed for using plus minus. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's not useful. And this is my thing with, with plus minus. There is value to it. What you need to look at is the number that stands out the most. If you have a team at the end of the night where the stat sheet says, you know, plus two, plus four, plus five, zero, two. You don't look at those guys. But if there's someone who stands out that's plus 18 while everybody else is in that range that I just mentioned, well, then he did something that is some point that stands out, that points out because he's so much different than everybody else. So if I'm looking in a basketball game and Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Al Horford, they're all plus 15, say, and yeah. Furkan Korkmaz is minus seven. That's telling me something. But yeah. apparently, to a lot of people, plus minus doesn't matter. I do get that there's times where it's flawed. It's not the most perfect stat. But there are times where it is very valuable. Facts. If it's flawed, it's because you got a guy who got in for garbage time. Or a guy who played a lot, and then he played in quote-unquote garbage time, and he was out there with the lineup that just gave up a bunch of points, and the game was pretty much over. That's a flaw plus minus. For a six-man, if you're playing anywhere between 15 minutes and up, the, the rest of the game, obviously, if he's six-man, he's not playing an entire 48 minutes. But if you're playing 15 minutes plus, that plus-minus matters. You said it shows what happens when you're out there on the floor and you have a guy who's out there in the mix with the elite players. That plus-minus shit is important. And anybody who comes at you for that doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, there's a lot <laughs> of people that are coming after me about that. The, this is where I do think it could be flawed, though, whether it is a six-man or an eighth-man or whatever. It, it, if you get on the floor for, say, 12 minutes, right, which is a, a very small amount of time in terms of the full game, and in that game, Ben, or in that 12-minute span, Ben Simmons goes off for 12 points, and he didn't really do anything. Your plus-minus looks great because Ben Simmons is going off during that time if your team is continuing to get stops and just say you're hanging out by the corner. So there are plenty of times where I do think it can be very flawed, and that's why I think it's it's situational when you bring it up in conversation about a player. Yeah, I just... Let's get off for a call. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I, listen, I, I, he he had moments, though, where he dropped 30-plus points, where he had big games. He hit a buzzer beater against the Portland Trailblazers on the road, like game four of the season. There were moments where he showed, whoa, all right, this is not the same for Conquerkmas. So it, he's a hot item when it comes to this bench. And also factor in, his contract is not expensive. We we wanted to. He went in last year and asked for like a raise and demanded more money. And the Sixers told him to kick rocks. And then he gets brought back and he's on this minimum amount of money. So and he'll be here next year. So he's going to be a part of this team moving forward. Yeah, and that's the I guess the light at the end of the tunnel with him is like we said he's progressing. So we know he's getting better. But for the six man role, no. But right behind him, shake. Shake. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan of Shake. At the end of the day, that's the baddest motherfucking last name. Uh, well, not last name, but nickname. Sorry, should I say? Uh, for anybody, Shake is just that's 
That's... Yeah, there's nothing better than when he drains a three or drops 39 in L.A. You can use the shake, shake, shake. Yeah, exactly. Shake, shake, shake. You know, it's perfect. You can use it for anything. Exactly. Shake. That's a, that's a mean-ass name. But just what he did in spots, obviously, where there were injuries, you know, throughout the season. I remember when Joe and B was out for a stretch and he kind of got hot. He, for him to get about, you know, like I said, another guy gets that 15 to 20-minute range. That's what your, you know, your average is. For him to do what he did this season, only in his – my trip in his second year, right? Yes. Yeah, only his second year. But is this is like the first surprising. year he got real time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like his first year was kind of like a red shirt year, but I mean, shit, it's the Sixers. You know what I mean? Like obviously like he bounced back and forth between the G League and stuff and he had to develop, but in the sense of progression and the sense of, I hate to suck and say this like this, processing and moving towards that, he's a guy that he's shown this season. It could be very exciting to see if he turns into – that sixth man for this eventual championship level uh, Sixers. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I I love how you you mentioned 15 or so minutes. Mm-hmm. I would like him to develop into that guy that gets 20-plus or 25-plus, and he is that sixth man. I think the best comparison I heard was a Jamal Crawford in, in that type of game, you know, and the, he passes the eye test. When he played against L.A., something switched in my brain like, damn. Not everybody has that attitude or that swagger against the a team like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. With some players out, he really stepped up and, and had an explosive game. He takes it to the rack. He's not afraid if anybody's into the paint. If it's a seven-footer, he'll attack the rim. He shot 45% from three this year. I am really impressed with Shake, and I think he is a piece that can be here for, for a long time. Yeah, man. Yeah. I love – I, I root heavy for the, the mid-major kids. and People get stuck in these these high schools. I, I don't know. I, I went to Nova. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm like them. I have a special place for guys who don't exactly look like they're going to be from the Kentuckys. And then they come into the league and they just show that their game is just built for it. And that's what he's showing. I love the Jamal Crawford, um, you know, comparison. Maybe he turns into that guy who's at that two slot later. Like, we don't know what's going to happen over these next couple of years with this team. But he's just a guy that, like, when I look at him, I'm not saying I see the same thing I see in TJ McConnell or saw in TJ McConnell, shall I say, but that's our guy. That's you feel good about him. And like I said, the SMU guy, a Larry Brown guy, for the most part, he's that's he's a major piece to me. I Pick up the shakes. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I'm I'm super interested in in how he's going to develop. I think that there is some room to grow in terms of built. You know, this is a different yeah. league. I talk about this all the time about it, a grown man's league. I, I think yeah. defensively he's going to have to learn. But he's for some reason there are players that. I look at and I say, okay, I understand that if he keeps grooming and developing, he can turn into something that can really work in this league. He's mm-hmm. one of them. Matisse Thibel is one of them. But for some reason, and I don't know why that this is, we talked about Furcon growing and Furcon developing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't hit me the same way. Furcon developing doesn't hit me the same way as knowing Matisse Thibel can develop, knowing that Shake Milton can develop, because I think that Furcon Korkmaz has a ceiling on impact, and that ceiling isn't enough to really push this team over the edge. Shake Milton can push this team over the edge. Matisse Thibel has the type of impact that can push this team over the edge. To me, I don't know if Furcon Korkmaz can, so when it comes to developing, it's almost as if it doesn't hit me the same with Furcon compared to the other two. Yeah, no, I get that. Shit, and if anything, Matisse Thibel 
did push us over the edge sometimes this year. You know what I mean? So I, I, I like him. I like both of them. I don't know what it is about Furkan. It's fun. Like, I didn't realize I felt the same way until you mentioned that. It might be the fact that we saw Furkan already kind of this year. We've really got to see Matisse Thibault. And this year, you know, we've got to see Shake Milton kind of step into a bigger role. So that helped. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know. Until you said that, I didn't realize I felt the same way. You look at Furkan, maybe it's the eye test. Maybe it's because we expect him to be a certain amount of aggressive. We don't feel like he's going to be. Maybe at the end of the day, this is Philly. Maybe you feel like he doesn't have the personality for it. I don't believe in that shit. If he can play, he can play. But um, yeah, bro, I, I got to agree with you. I'm not as excited about him as the other two. With, with the YouTube platform, you reach a bunch of people all over the world, and you would be surprised with how many Turkish fans that I have. Furkan Korkmaz fans, not even Sixers fans. Furkan Korkmaz fans that enjoy watching my Sixers breakdowns, and they're in my comment section after every game. Furkan's the best. He's the greatest. Or you know, So he'll go on this, this run of blowing for so many games in a row, and then he'll drop 27, and here they all come. Here they all come. What, y- did you not watch the last 12 games where he couldn't even get on the floor because he was getting abused? Or uh, This is turning into the Furcon Corkmoss hate podcast, but I knew that was going to happen once we started talking about the bench. Hate, 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 hate. Yeah, hate. I know. I do that a lot. All right. Well, well Matisse Thibel is someone that was brought up but not really dissected enough. Mm-hmm. He has a very bright future. Yes. At the time of the draft, I'm not going to lie to you, I I hated the move because this is what I saw. And this is what I saw at that time. I wanted the Sixers to go out and in that draft, go out and acquire anyone who can space the floor and shoot. Space the floor and shoot. Go out and get shooters. We had plenty of draft picks to do it. I wanted Carson Edwards in the second round. We mm-hmm. make the move at Boston. They end up getting Carson Edwards. I think about Tatum and Fultz. I get all nervous about it. When I looked at Matisse Thibel, I'm not going to lie to anybody. I wasn't watching Pac-12 Washington basketball every single every single game. So I didn't break down Matisse Thibel's college game during the college basketball season. I, I just didn't watch that much Washington basketball. Mm-hmm. I saw stats of nine points per game, and he was just this guy who didn't space the floor and shoot the ball. So it was the complete opposite. It was another guy who could just defend really well and couldn't produce anything offensively. Knowing the Sixers and their struggle spacing the floor, that concerned me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have to agree. I have to agree. He was another guy that didn't pass the eye test. Uh, I will say this on the sense of defense, because you've made me realize like how many people we've got. You got another defender. You got another defender. I would hope that the scheme with that and, and not getting a guy, like you said, that can space the floors because at the end of the day, when you get a guy who plays defense, you can you can sharpen somebody up offensively. You can give them some skills offensively. People look at LeBron James in his first year and look at him now. You can, you can develop guys offensively. But if you have a guy who does not want to play defense, that's hard to pull out of him. So I really hope that was kind of the, the thought with that. Sorry, I just had to touch on that. But – he turned to be exactly what we, you know, needed him. Maybe it was a season, you know, it was kind of a strange season. Maybe he kind of stepped into a, a strange role, but I, I love his game. I love his defense. He's developing his shot. He shot about 35% from the field this year. I meant from three and, you know, this, that could be better, but he seems like a guy that another guy can turn into a piece. You definitely going to need down the line. I hate to say it. Iggy. Oh, 
yeah. dude, if, if Matisse Thibault turned out to be Iggy, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm, that's not okay. something I'm mad about. Just okay, because, I, thought, I thought you were just like, I'll, I, I thought you like didn't like Iggy at all. No, just because LeBron had 36 points, averaged yeah. 36 in the finals, and absolutely destroyed him, and he won finals MVP somehow. So, first off, how did we find a way to, to put this into the third straight podcast? I don't know. Because it's Iggy. It, now, is Iggy a Hall of Famer? No. Okay. I don't know. That might not sit well with some Sixers fans. No. Okay. Uh, I I agree no. with you. I don't think he's yeah. that. He's the one that when he's mm. people like Iggy start sliding into the Hall of Fame. That's what waters it down. Mm. You know. You you, can, you you is that harsh? No no no. Like it's it's real. Okay. It's real. But it's just like that's a that's a harsh reality, shall I say? Well, the Hall of Fame is a Hall of Fame for a reason. You want the yeah. best of the best in there. There are going to be guys that were really good, but they don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. It would just water it down. You can't let everybody in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like Iggy. I love Iggy. He's gonna have his jersey retired in several places, or at least hung up or honored in you several places. You think in places. Memphis? No. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. Uh, didn't like how he dealt with that situation. I got to be honest. Um, I think I, I think I like Iggy the most because when you hear people play with him or around him, his he's just he seems to be the ultimate OG. You know what I mean in the sense of just taking care of business and and handling business uh, off the court. But on the court, Iggy's not a Hall of Famer, it, but he's a hell of a player though. Hell yeah, player. absolutely. If, if Matisse Thibel turns into Iguodala, I, I think that would be one hell of a snag yeah. by. By Elton Brandon. One thing I want to ask you, since you, you were a player at, at a high level when it comes to the defense with Matisse, one of the things that I noticed, and it seems like it's working for him, so it's hard for me to to somewhat criticize it because it is effective, but I wonder how long it can be effective for he seems to not get beat on purpose, but when he does get beat, a lot of his stuff is like around the back of the player. And I just feel like in the NBA, when you start to watch film and understand how he defends, you can use that to your advantage and you can jump like back into him and cause the foul. It's almost as if when he gets beat, he always tries to get beat on purpose. I know he doesn't, but it's almost as if he gets beat on purpose and then he tries to steal from behind or block from behind. Everything's from behind instead of staying in front of the guy fully and making him work that way. Yeah, I think that's something that he's going to have to get out the habit of, but obviously he kind of had a good year with it this year, so he's it's going to be something harder to enforce. But what you're describing is a young player who – at some point or another, realize they don't have to work as hard on the front end of defense and you make it up in the end. The problem is, like, like shit, Mikel was like that in college. Mikel was like that, 2018 year. Not saying that he would get blown by on purpose, but certain guys have a luxury, you know, with long, if you got long arms and you're a tall guy on defense and you're mobile, you have the luxury to, all right, I might be able to get beat because I can get back a little faster. You know what I mean? Suppose my shorter, they want to stay in front of them at all costs. They know if they get past me, we're done. The issue, like I said, with the Matisse Thibel, a guy who gambles at one level and then you go up the next, is that shit might cost you. Like you said, those guys might start to see, all right, jump into them. They're a little bit smarter than college player. Or it just turns into the defense starts rotating. And I hope he gets out of that, but I don't see it happening without him getting burned on it first. 
it does seem like it's part of his game, almost as if it's not normal. It's not how most players play, but it works for him. So maybe this is just something that does work, but I I believe that these NBA players are so smart. They study film. I mentioned how when you get into the playoffs, it's a different game. Well, teams start to study your squad for yeah. a seven-game series, and that will be up on film. That will be noticed that Matisse Thibel does this. So if someone who is a, an outstanding ball handler has the ball in his hands and he realizes Matisse is behind him after all those hours of studying they know that oh he's going to do this so let me draw the foul when you're playing the regular season and it's 82 games and you're going from city to city you don't have the time to watch film and dissect the teams you go out there and play and it's just a totally different game once you start studying players fully yeah yeah no you're absolutely right like I said hopefully somebody doesn't pick up on that because that habit is hard to get out of like he's probably he played like that in college for sure because he was so much better than a lot of people. But they played a lot of zone too in, in yeah. at Washington, which was another thing that concerned me at the at the time of the draft. It, it is funny though to go back and listen and watch what I was saying during that time. I I was yeah. biting my fists. I I believe the title of the video was Elton Brand gets a D plus on draft night, and <laughs> I just I didn't see the where he was going with it because he didn't go out and get those shooters. But once yeah. again, for all the guys who hate on Elton Brand, you get him a T Stiebel, and I know this isn't a bench piece, but but I want to bring him up. Mariel Shayok has been destroying the G League. He averages 23, 6, and 3.8 assists a game in the G League. I don't know what he can be, but to say that with that pick, you didn't get some value there, holy hell, I'm intrigued. Now, there's so much growing and developing that needs to happen, but I'm intrigued by Mariel Shayok. What do you think of him? I, I like him. You know what I mean? His his game is is kind of a G League KD. Not <laughs> it just looks that way based off of his form and jumper. I'm not saying he is yeah. Kevin Durant. Yeah, you know his his game is awkward. It, it's very unorthodox. It's very unconventional. I like them. I, honestly, I don't know if you just made me realize this or you know it's it's. I had that is, impact on people. Thank you. I'm about to say I'm I'm having several light bulb moments with you today, my man. You're it gonna be riding like a-, a skateboard in no time. All right, we're done. We're done. <laughs> I have that type of impact. <laughs> I just feel like he's um he's playing. All right, I'm gonna say this now. I hope in a year or two, people are saying Elton Brand was a genius for getting all these pieces they just needed to develop. Maybe he's looking at this process from no, we're not out of it just because we're not in 2015 anymore. This shit's still going on. We're still trying to get to a point where we're winning consistent championships, but. Shayok is one of those players that I feel could be a great piece. Um, I, I'm drawing a blank on who to compare him to, but his game is versatile enough. Another guy who plays defense. And his, his offensive game is versatile enough to definitely turn into a piece that you want in a championship year. It's just he looks so close to other players, it's hard for people to really appreciate him right now. I think he's so raw, too. Like I, I don't think if if – he gets thrown into the mix in an NBA game right now. He's ready to thrive and take the and make the most of the opportunity. He does have that mindset. I do believe he has that mindset, but I just think that he's more of a raw raw player at this very yeah. moment. I don't look at him the same as say Shake Milton being in, thrown into the fire or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and and I, that I, kind I of relates to somewhat of a, of a Zaire Smith. I don't know I was what just. To- I don't know what to, to expect that. out of this kid. Now, keep in mind, what he went through the other year, it's pretty remarkable, his recovery to that. I mean, the the peanut allergy, that's nothing that you can just not talk about when it comes to being a pro athlete and then losing such a significant amount of time 
being in the hospital. It's it's a big deal that I think played an impact on where he is right now with the Sixers. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry for laughing. It was just I, I forgot all about that. Um, he can't sh- he can't shoot. He can't shoot. I'm not He's saying just athletic. Ain't nobody in the NBA just to be in the NBA. He can play. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen on this team. I, I don't see him between what Shake Milton gives you on offense and what Matisse Thibault gives you on defense. Zaire Smith doesn't seem necessary. Is this a good is this a good uh, comparison, if you will? He's a poor man's Matisse Thibel. So you yeah. already have a better version of him. Yeah. It's almost as if, you know, what, where are you going to play? And the worst part about it is, though, I don't think that there's much buzz around the league in Zaire Smith. Now, will a team like the Orlando Magic take a flyer on him because he's athletic? There's some upside there. He can maybe defend mm-hmm. if he grows. Sure, but people aren't jumping at the bits to call Elton Brand and say, I need to get Zaire Smith. Yeah, I mean, and remember how, they, how the Sixers got Zaire Smith. Oh, I remember. Yeah, exactly. I just don't see it. That was just, we said it before on the past show, Elton Brand is human. At the end of the day, you know, he gets grazed just like the rest of us. That was that Well, was well let me throw this at match. you. I, I, I know your boys uh, with Mikel, right? I, I, I do understand that. But with that trade, the Sixers ended up getting Tobias Harris, essentially, because that first-round yeah. pick came into play. As yeah. much as I, I really did enjoy watching Mikel Villanova, and I think he's really learning the NBA game, and he's starting mm-hmm. to become a really nice player there for his role, Tobias Harris, to me, is more of an impact than a Zaheer Smith or Mikel Bridges. Like That trade happening got us Tobias. I know fans yeah. aren't happy with Tobias right now, but I see that as a positive, and I would do that scenario all over again, the trade on draft night to get Tobias any day of the week. Yeah, but we're dealing with a completely different scenario. Let's say they don't, and this would be a great show to just dive in. It's, it's if we revert it, we got to do this, bro. Okay. We got to just revert certain draft picks and see what would have happened. With the Mikel Bridges, there's no need for Matisse Thibel. Oh, that is that is a fair point, but we just talked about how it doesn't really they seem to not care how many defenders they have mm-hmm. that well, he's a 3 and D guy, Mikel, so it is different um, yeah. than Matisse Thibel because he's not so much a... We want him to be a 3 and D guy, and, and I know his percentage was what you mentioned, but he, he wasn't that much of a three-point yeah. threat. He, yeah. he, he, he needs he's to developing. He's developing. I think, I think he's going to come out this upcoming year and shoot a great clip. I do, he's too. My, my yeah. point is, though, with that is, I don't know if that would have stopped them from drafting Matisse. I think it would just be Mikel Bridges and Matisse Thibel. I think they still oh, no. would have valued his defense to to a high degree. And, and listen, to have both of them would have been great. But now you're saying no Tobias Harris. So you have Matisse Thibel, Mikel Bridges, no Tobias Harris. I think that changes completely. All right, so so let's just let's just run through the scenario. You have Matisse Thibel. Okay, you have Mikel Bridges, you have Matisse Thibel if they did draft him. And you have $120 million-plus. That, that is what you need. Right. That is what you need to. So you don't get Tobias last season. You don't get Tobias and, and, and Jimmy kind of show. Who knows what happened with Jimmy Butler at that point. Um, I was actually kind of happy that Mikel had – that had happened because I felt like he would have been packaged up in that trade to get Jimmy. You know what I mean? I felt like they would have just threw him in there to to to, to kind of add some incentive or maybe they keep one of those guys. I, I don't know. For, for, Robert for yeah, Robert Covington. Yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. I about to yeah. say, like, maybe him. I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how Mikel would have played. We're talking about the butterfly effect completely. Right. But Great that song, type of money. By the way. 
Great huh? song. Great song. Yes. Travis yes, Scott. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. Great song and great movie. But <laughs> and the movie sucks. But <laughs> you have that type of money, and now you can go out in the summer and get the exact piece we need. We that, talked about a Drew Holiday type character, an Eric Bledsoe type character, a Kyle Lowry type, uh, quite frankly, type character. Not saying Kyle himself, but I'm saying you have a combo guard <laughs> that could give you something on defense. It's interesting. Now, it's, yeah. it's very interesting. I think that's something we can dive into a little bit later on in, in another podcast because that, that is very interesting. Maybe we can literally name the podcast The Butterfly Effect and then we'll, we'll start diving into a bunch of different scenarios. So let's keep it going here with some of the bench guys because this this pissed me off during the season. When Glenn Robinson III came out and said, I didn't know my role, a lot of people associate that with Brett Brown because they hate Brett Brown. I yeah. didn't do that. I associated that with the way Glenn Robinson III is looking at the future of his career. He's a UFA. He was playing really well in Golden State because, quite frankly, they sucked, and he got a lot of time, and he was putting up a decent amount of points there, and he was shooting the ball well. He stated how he needs to worry about taking care of his family, getting his money, and, dude, I'm, I'm all for that. I totally understand that part of it. This is a business. He would rather, and this is my opinion, this is how I see it, he would rather be on a bad team scoring buckets and in a UFA year so he can go get money more, rather than being on a good team, being a role player, not scoring as much, and, and trying to win a championship. He was pissed off, in my opinion, that he had to go to Philly and be a bench guy over starting on a team that had six wins at the time so he can go out and get paid. He was just frustrated making those comments because he wasn't getting the recognition because he knows it will impact his future contract. You couldn't have said it any better. But I'm going to just come to his defense. This shit is business. That lead, they have no problem cutting somebody or getting rid of somebody for some money. So there ain't nothing wrong with going out there and making sure you get yours. I'm not the biggest fan of how he went about it, but I completely agree with the way I, I completely agree with what you're saying in the sense of he does not want to be on a great team and be a bench player. He wants to go have a great year. You know what I mean? So at the end of the season, somebody can say, I want you on my team. I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars again. Because at the end, of, like I said, it's it's a business. It's entertainment. It's real life. It's sports. It's passion. It's all this other stuff. But it's a business. The reason the NBA is what it is is because it's a business. And he's trying to get his bread. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But I wish he would have went about it in a way that didn't once again throw Brett Brown under the bus. But maybe he had a point. I don't know. It might have served as a, a kind of a wake-up call if you have somebody who hasn't had as much equity as a Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid to come into the mix and say – this shit's kind of out of order. Or you have somebody who doesn't have that reputation of a Jimmy Butler to come in and say, I'm not sure about how things are being ran here, but I, I, I get both sides. Yeah, when people speak out like this, mm -hmm. I, I look at them heavily during a game. And if you remember, it took him, I, I don't know, maybe like 10 games or so to actually hit a three-pointer. And yeah. that's on him. He was open. He was missing shots. So if you're going to run your mouth and talk shit, you better back it the hell up. That's nobody's yeah. fault you're missing shots. There's That's nobody's fault. It's not Brett Brown's fault. It, you were open in the three-point area, and you were missing those opportunities. So if you're going to talk your shit, you better back it the hell up too, and that's why it bothers me. That's why it eats me alive. People who are mad at Brett Brown instantly say, oh, look at how awful he is with communicating. I don't see it that way. I, I look at it being a Glenn Robinson the third issue more than a Sixers issue. And I'm not saying the Sixers are perfect. We heard JJ and Jimmy both say that there's a lot of voices. So I get that. Mm -hmm. But guess what? If there's a if there's a lot of voices, he said he doesn't know his role. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I'm buying. I just, I don't know if I'm buying that. What else could he possibly thought coming in here? He was going to be a starter? Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, the, he's, going he's to the Sixers at the trade deadline, what is your, if, if you got picked up by the Sixers at the trade deadline, what do you think your role would be? A bench yeah. guy. Yeah, I about to say, your role is to come in and, and be seen, not heard, but we all deal with it different at the I end know. of the day. You know what I mean? We all deal with it different. I got to, like I said, I got to come to his defense in the sense of getting your money because they going to get theirs. But at the same time, the way he went about it was kind of nutty. I definitely agree. All Especially right, so, for a guy like you said who wasn't hitting shots. Right. Like, right. Yeah. No, it's, it's like very, Jimmy can pop his shit because it's Jimmy Butler. You see what he do. You see who ball, you know, you see who got the ball at the end of the game. But if you're going to come in and stink shit up and then be like, oh, no, I don't like it. It's like, we don't like you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who the hell are you to say that? Yeah. All right, so to to wrap up the bench, the Alec Burks thing, we didn't really get enough time to really dissect him. He seems like a high-volume shooter, so we would take a lot of shots. And he had games where he was on and it was great, but then he had games where he was slow. A typical bench guy, depends on the night. I don't have too much to say about Alec Burks. He's probably not going to be here next year anyway. So, you know, yeah. he was what he was. But this is the the, the two people I kind of wanted to debate real quick before we before we end this. Kyle O'Quinn and Norvell Pell. I felt like Kyle O'Quinn got underused, and he's a UFA next year. Norvell Pell, I like him a lot. He's got a lot to learn. He's not afraid to go up and, and try and protect the rim no matter what. He'll get dunked on a million times. He'll block a million shots. So I love that when it comes to his mindset. What did you think about the two? It seemed like at times Norvell Pell got utilized more than a veteran like Kyle O'Quinn. They bring two different things to the table. I like both, but what did you think about both of them this past season? I think they're both guys who are great without the basketball, and that was definitely needed uh, for their shifts. Uh, I like Kyle O'Quinn's game because he just he, – I'm not going to say he can do a little bit of everything. He's more of a I'm not going to say the traditional, but the old school power forward at this point. You know, we're talking that mid-2000s power forward. He, his game is kind of tailored towards that, not so much of his new game. Uh, Norvell Pell is somebody I look at and I see just complete defense and athleticism. But at times it was needed. If I had to keep one, it would probably be Norvell Pell for the sake of, you said the word, Kyle Quinn's a veteran. This team is growing. This team is young. You know what I mean? Have a guy you can develop. The beauty of a Kyle Quinn is over Norvell Pell is you know what you're getting out of him. Ain't nobody confused about what you're getting out of Kyle O'Quinn when you you send him out there. So he's a little bit safer, but it's for the sake of development. Like I said, with guys like Shake, with guys like Matisse Thibel, a Novell Pell seems like a better fit for this team. Definitely. He's just, as, as I stated with some of the other guys, he's very raw. And I think he's got yeah. a lot to learn. And one thing I really do in, enjoy about Kyle O'Quinn, which is something that's off the, the game itself and off the court when it comes to the game. When I was going to the games as media for 97.3, I would yeah. be there early. I would watch warm-ups. This dude, he would put in work pregame yes. with Roy Hibbert. I mean, he would yeah. literally, because Roy Hibbert's one of the one of the coaches now, he would put in work. He would battle his ass off because he's staying in shape. He's knowing he needs to be ready when his number is called. Like He is showing how much of a veteran he really is. And another person who did that, which it's kind of embarrassing that we forgot about him until right now because he was that important to this team, Mike Scott. He had an awful yeah. season. 
He had an awful yeah. season. He started to play well late. And yeah. and I think he, he played some of his best basketball late as a five, which is something that you uh, – I don't know if you really want to see that when it comes down to postseason yeah. plays. That's tough for him. He wasn't Against certain teams. Against certain teams. Right, against certain teams. But Mike Scott had a really disappointing season, and he has one year left on his deal. So the hive was not having a, a great year for, for him. Yeah, I, I think Mike Scott's one of those people that turns it around this next season. And if he doesn't, like you said, it's the last year. Um, he's just – I'm not saying this to, to knock his game because he's – to me, he's the shit. I love him. Uh, I love Mike Scott personally. You know what I mean? His personality is very Philly in a lot of ways and very much with this team needs that edge at times. Um, but his game on the court fits it as well. But Mike Scott's kind of like extra credit. You know what I mean? If he doesn't do something, you're not exactly – crushed about it but when he does your hype is help because it helped well let me say this though when you look at this bench depth after your your starting five he's somewhat at the top of that list so I don't know if I do think it's extra credit I think he needs to have a good year because if he's that if you can find a way and see it's hard for me to really think this way because shake Milton isn't that guy yet but if you have a real sixth man that you could plug in there and, and mm-hmm. you can really rely on. I can't really rely on Shake Milton. I'm just really intrigued by what he can do. But if you were able to get a serious threat as your sixth man and Mike Scott was your seventh, I think that's where you need Mike Scott to be when you're talking about a, a legit playoff run. Would you disagree with that? Would you agree with that? No, I, I definitely agree with it. I don't I, – sorry, I misspoke. I don't want Mike Scott to be in a position where we're questioning that. I want him to be in that extra credit spot. I guess the better way to say it. Yeah, you're, you're, right. you're right. If he, you're right. If he is that extra credit spot, now you're saying we're that much deeper. If you're relying on Mike Scott to be that guy, you might be in a tough spot. I, I don't know. It's yeah. I don't know. He's your typical bench guy. There are nights where it's like, damn, all right, he shot five for five from three. That's fantastic. Then there's nights where it's, holy hell, Mike Scott, what are you doing? And it seemed like there were a lot more of those this season. He was all yeah. in his head. I mean, he's he's such a better player than he put on display this year. Yeah, yeah. No, we got we got to get him back to. Yeah, I think he he would. I mean, he's a professional. We talk about his attitude and his personality on the court, which is fantastic. But at at the end of the day, he is a professional. And I I do think that he will turn it around and get into a better headspace, need to clear the mind. And he started to play, as I stated, better basketball late in the year. Most definitely. So with that being said, I think this is a great time to end Processed Episode 4. Once again, follow us on Twitter at processed 76ers we are on apple Podcasts, youtube spotify anchor and a million other podcasting platforms so make sure you check us out on whatever platform you use thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next time